It was one year ago this morning that we climbed the balcony and sat right up there. This weekend last year, we loaded up all of our earthly goods into several trucks with lots of friends and moved from the south towns of Buffalo for, from a pastorate that we loved and had given our lives to, to Centerville Road, where we bought our first home. Friday, we moved lots of boxes and furniture, earned lots of blisters and bruises and all that goes along with that. Saturday, our kids joined us here in Houghton. And Sunday morning, we woke up for the first time as a family in Houghton to go to church. Going to church. It was a strange concept. For my entire adult life, my world had evolved around Sunday mornings and not going to church, but doing all the stuff that happens on a Sunday morning, being here, the first one here, the last one to leave. The idea of going to church was just such a foreign and strange and wonderful idea. So we woke up that morning and drove down from Centerville Road through campus, pulled in here. By the time we got here, we didn't know that this place was going to be quite so packed on the main level. So we ended up right up there in the balcony. And we didn't plan it that way, but it worked out pretty good for us. We looked out over you and we saw people we've admired for a long time. People we didn't know, who we've gotten to know over the past year. Saw people I quoted in my dissertation, which is, makes, makes this morning really stressful. <laughs> um, and then at the end, you know, that morning, we, we, I tried to sing. I really tried to sing. But my eyes kept welling up. My throat kept, kept clenching up. And I don't think I squeaked out more than a few notes all morning long. Mostly good tears. But also, I think, just an awareness that my life had changed in ways that I'm still figuring out and how grateful we were to be landing here. We, we had communion that morning, as it turned out, which was really especially meaningful. I'm not sure if I'd ever been part of a communion service where I just got to be a dad and a husband. I was always the pastor, and it was such a thrill. We'd, my kids had never been part of Intinction, so we had a little coaching session up there in the balcony before we came down about... <laughs> <laughs> what to do as a, as a confessed germaphobe. You know, don't put your fingers too far in. Uh, that's why we sit towards the front most Sundays now, especially. <laughs> Whatever happens to you, happens to you. But I... But <laughs> but by the time we, we went to the playground and played, and lots of kids came up and introduced themselves to our kids and friends that they've been carrying through with them for the rest of the year. By the time we got out to the car, uh, I said to Tammy, that that was a pretty quick church shopping experience, wasn't it? She said, yeah, I think it was. And I was really disappointed because in my years as a pastor, I watch a lot of church shoppers come and go, and I was really looking forward to that, and you all ruined that for me. uh, We continue to adjust, but we love living in Houghton. And I just want to let you know that and to thank you for that. And for somebody whose life has always revolved around Sunday mornings. That Sunday morning is one I'll never forget. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve Dunmire. You probably know me better as Tammy's husband, Hannah, Matt, and John, and Joshua's dad. Uh, if you don't know me through them, they're the b- five best things about me. So that's, uh, get to know me through them if you would. Uh, we lived in the Buffalo area for the last 12 years where I was a pastor in the city, in the suburbs, and in small towns. And we moved to Houghton a year ago where I serve pastors and churches on behalf of the college. And frankly, I'm having the time of my life. It is the best job in the world. wouldn't be the perfect job for everybody, but it, it is the perfect job for me. And uh, 
As a lifelong Western New Yorker, I think Jeremiah 29 sums up the Western New York state of mind maybe better than any other chapter in Scripture, at least from the, the point of view I have. I process life with a Western New York state of mind. I eat meals with a Western New York state of mind. Two, my two favorite meals, no joke, are, is wings and beef on whack. If we go out to eat, those are the two things I'm going to try to have first. And by the way, they are wings, not buffalo wings. I'm glad that other regions call them buffalo wings, but never order buffalo wings. They're never going to be, if they call them that on the menu, you're better off not having them. Uh, I watch sports with a Western New York tortured soul, and I live through the four seasons. I love the four seasons because of the Western New York point of view that I have from having grown up here. And so I read Jeremiah 29 with Western New York lenses. And of course, this is one of the most beloved chapters in Scripture. I've received this at every major transition in my life. Jeremiah 29, beginning of verse 11, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's a favorite verse for so many of us. When I graduated from high school, somebody gave me a beautiful framed calligraphy version of these verses. And I think when we moved a year ago, I'm sure a lot of people from our church gave us cards with these verses on them. They're probably in a box somewhere in the garage. Um, And every major transition in life, so many key turning points in life, we turn to these verses, and with good reason. But take a look for a moment this morning at the people to whom he sent this message. Back at verse 1. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophet's and all the, other people of Nebuchadnezzar, all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Not a letter to high school graduates. Not a letter to people who are bored or who are enjoying a nice summer at Rushford Lake. A a letter to people in exile. A letter to people for whom life has been interrupted in irrevocable ways. To the exiles who've been carried against their will from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the letter he's addressing to You may not be familiar with exile. Exile is kind of a a forced upon you uh, state of disorientation. A permanent, I've compared it to being a foreign exchange student placed in a home where nobody wants to host a foreign exchange student. You are there in places you feel like leftover baggage. It's like you've jumped on a plane, flown across the country, and your luggage has been lost somewhere along the way. You're you're lost. You're disoriented. It's this, this forced upon you confusion and unrootedness. You may not have ever been in exile, but if you've ever ever been unemployed waiting for a callback, if you've ever been going through testing and waiting for the callback from the doctor, just hoping that it's good news or some news, if you've ever gone through a divorce and all your dreams and your plans have come crashing down or had an unexpected layoff or an unexpected turn of events in your life, grieving the loss of a loved one, whatever you've gone through, that time of exile feels like homelessness. Like taking, loading up all your possessions in the South Downs of Buffalo, loading them in a truck and having them go away, and then moving someplace where you don't have any friends. The Lord is speaking to his people in exile and says, Believe it or not, I've got plans for you. 
Nebuchadnezzar, believe it or not, has not derailed my plans for you. I've still got bigger and better plans for you. This is not, this hasn't confused me. This hasn't thrown me off my plan. And as a lifelong Western New Yorker, I sense that a lot of Western New Yorkers feel as though living in Western New York is living in exile. And as though some people who come from outside of this region feel like being sent to Western New York is being sent into exile. In fact, I think if Western New York has a life verse, it's John six sixty seven. Do you want to leave too? <laughs> that is the Western New York state of mind. Do you want to leave too? For, for, that's how a lot of us feel in this region. This is the way we go through our lives. We've watched so many businesses leave. We've watched so many family and, fr- and friends leave. We watch our children grow up, graduate, and leave. We watch our friends get impatient and get a promotion and leave. We watch our young children grow up, graduate, and leave. Our retirees leave for warmer weather. And we end up turning to each other. Do you want to leave too? My whole life, people have been asking me to go away. <laughs> But so that's what makes it all the more expected when people like Chuck and Clay Massey come from outside of this region. Not only did they agree to come from the south to here, but they end up liking it and staying and moving to the city and in not only being a part of it, not only working there, but investing and giving of their lives to it and becoming key players so that if you don't know Chuck and Clay Massey, you're not really in the city. And we look at this and say, really? What's the joke? Come on, where's, where's the gag? You're, you're going to retire someplace else at least, right? You don't really, what do you mean you like it here? We're just not used, we don't know how to process this. We're used to people leaving, not people arriving. Jim Kelly is one of the most beloved figures in Western New York. If you weren't here during the 90s, you might just never get that. But Jim Kelly is just one of the most beloved people around here. But when he was eligible for the NFL draft, he gave his agent three cities where he would refuse to play. Guess which city was on that list? Buffalo. So in fact, years later in an interview, uh, he, he confessed that on the day that he was drafted by Buffalo, he says, quote, I cried. I didn't literally cry. I just had tears. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So in fact, when he was drafted by the Bills, the USL, USFL came calling this upstart league that only lasted for a couple of years. They gave him a contract. He went and played in this league that probably wasn't going to make it after all. Played there instead of coming to Buffalo. Finally, the USL folds. He comes to Buffalo, becomes an absolute legend around here. But I'm convinced... Western New York doesn't love Jim Kelly because he came. We love him because he stayed. Because after those four Super Bowls, as much as they ripped my heart out as a little boy, uh, we, if we, just, we love to watch somebody get knocked down and climb back up again. Watching the Kellys go through their ordeal with Hunter and now Jim, Jim go through his battle with cancer, we love to watch somebody who's gotten knocked down, climb back up again, and we love Jim Kelly and Jill Kelly because they didn't just come, but they stayed here. And even for this region that expects departures and not arrivals, even those of us who love it here, like, I love it here. I love it here. It takes a toll on us over time. And we start turning to each other and saying, you don't want to leave too, do you? And so here's God's message to the people, and, and by the way, I think whenever I read about people in exile, I take out the words to those in exile and substitute in their Western New Yorkers, and it usually works just about every time. Here are his instructions to the exiles. Verse 5, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. 
Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't listen to the prophets and diviners among you. Don't listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. You are pro- they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. Build houses. Plant gardens. Paint the shed. Settle down. Get used to it. You're not camping. I think the hardest part about living in exile, whatever form that takes, a diagnosis, unemployment, being uprooted from Jerusalem to Babylon, I think the hardest part about living in exile is not living in the present. The temptation is always to dream ahead to the future, fantasize about the future and what might be, or to daydream about the past, remember the good old days, but never to live fully in the present. And perhaps nobody has put their finger on the restlessness, what it, the impatience, the restlessness, the, the frustration that bubbles up in us when we're living in, in exile than the great green theologian Yoda. Um, <laughs> Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back complains about Luke Skywalker. All his life has he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was. Not bad for a little green puppet from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? There he puts his finger on, for so many of us who are living in exile, we're daydreaming about the future, we're fantasizing about the future, we're daydreaming about the past, never fully present where we are. And by the way, with this Yoda analogy, I'm sure I've either gained major points with some of you or lost all credibility with some of you. Uh, My sons love it, I'm sure, so that's that's all that counts. But so the Lord's instructions to to the Israelites in exile... Quit saving boxes. Start planting gardens. Settle down. Lay down some roots here. Take your eyes off of the horizon. Take your eyes off the distant places. Stop seeking out bigger adventures. And just be. When Benedict was abbot of a monastery in the 6th century... Uh, he enforced the traditional vows there at the monastery. Poverty, chastity, obedience. But he noticed a problem with the monks there at the monastery. Monks in the 6th century were characterized by movement. They're always jumping around from this place to that place, looking for the ideal locations, looking for the, the perfect place. They were sure that if they could just get into the right community, with the right setting, with the right leaders, with the right neighbors, with the right scenery, with the right conditions, that then they could really be happy and have the truly spiritual life. That, that, that if they could just find the right spot, then it could really come all together for them. And so they jumped from monastery to monastery, place to place, city to city, town to town, hermitage to hermitage. And Benedict sees all this, and he cut right to the quick of it. He saw it for what it was, and it was restlessness. Restlessness and nothing else. And so he created another vow, a fourth vow, a vow of stability. Stay put. Stop moving. Build houses, plant gardens, paint the shed. He knew that the cure for restlessness wasn't movement, but stability. And so when the monks came into the monastery, not only did they make the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but they also made a vow to live the rest of their life there. Unless somebody above them called them away, they committed to staying there. And it's not a 
commitment you make because it's easy, but because it's worthwhile to stay. Don't run. And of course, if you make a vow like that, it really messes up life in some pretty serious ways. You've got to be quick to forgive, quick to apologize. You're going to treat your neighborhood different. You're going to be more inclined to get season tickets for the Genesee Rapids, things like that. And you, you just approach your neighborhood and your neighbors different. If it's temporary, then you just pull out and get going when they go and get stuff. But if you make that vow of stability to stay, to not run, then everything's different. Sometimes, frankly, it can be hard to distinguish uh, where stability stops and stubbornness begins. I'm not really sure if it makes much of a difference. As long as your stubbornness isn't towards people, but towards being there and staying there. Uh, and, and now listen, let me, I don't have time this morning to tell you what I don't mean by all this. Um, I know that there are a lot of conditions where our instability is not something we choose, but something that's chosen for us. And there are a lot of people in my life and friends of mine who would say, I'd love stability. The, the dominant characteristic of my life right now is uncertainty. And, but I think that's exactly where the vow of stability comes in. It's stability not when everything is smooth, not when you've landed in this, the ideal place, but especially in uncertainty. Especially when the future is not clear. So what would stability look like for you? Maybe for a variety of reasons you can't commit to stability in this place or in the place where you are right now. But what would it look like to make a vow of stability? And of course, the first vow of stability that most of us, many of us have made is in the commitment of marriage, to stay put. When going gets tough, when it's not fun to stay put. But what are some other ways you could express a vow of stability in relationships, in place, in some area of your life? As Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove wrote in his book on stability, I hope to reprogram your default setting. As participants in a mobile culture, our default is to move. God embraces our broken world, and I have no doubt that God can use our movement for good, but I am convinced that we lose something essential to our existence as creatures if we do not recognize our fundamental need for stability. Now, there's some person in the room who is saying to themselves, wait a minute, didn't you just move a year ago? <laughs> well, let me, let me walk through some of how we've practiced this in our life. My last two pastorates, um, the second to last pastorate was on the east side of Buffalo. We went to the east side of Buffalo at a very young age. Nobody told us it was the worst neighborhood in the city of Buffalo. It's probably good that they didn't tell us it was the worst neighborhood in the city of Buffalo. But we went there and to that church and their 75-year history. Their average pastors had stayed for less than two years. It's hard to imagine a church surviving 75 years with pastors who stay less than two years. In the decade before we got there, the average pastors had stayed for 16 months. And so we got there, and we made a two-year commitment. And we ended up staying a full three years. And three years doesn't seem long. It was the longest three years of my life. And by the end of those three years, we understood why everybody else left after 16 months. (laughs) But... We just wanted to break the trend and stay a bit longer than other people had stayed. At our last pastorate, in 50 years, the average pastors had stayed for four years. Um, I, I don't... I wish just pastors would stay put, but that's another sermon for a different audience. Um, 
So in 50 years, people had stayed for four years on average. So we stayed for eight years and left as the longest tenured pastor in that church's history. And left with, a, <laughs> with heavy sobs and, and weeping uh, to leave a place we loved. But in our case, each of those moves, all my pastorates took place within about an hour of each other. You could, you could do a loop and within an hour touch all my pastorates. Because I began to sense at a certain point that my calling to ministry wasn't just to a church, but to a region. A few years ago, I was writing down a rule of life. If you haven't written down a rule of life, it's a document that helps to, to form your habits and the, kind of a guiding principle for your life. And in my rule of life, this is what I wrote down. I know this region has many problems and shortcomings, but I am glad to have the privilege to serve Western New York as a native Western New Yorker. I am committed to staying because of the benefits of long-term ministry, but especially because I know how much this region has an inferiority complex. There are easier places to preach, to grow a church, and to make disciples in Western New York, but I welcome the challenge to preach the gospel here. Give me the hard cases. Give me the people who believe they've outgrown, outgrown God. Let me be their pastor. Let me, be their, let me preach their sermons. As far as it depends on me, I will stay in western New York. The Lord may bid me elsewhere, but he will have to change my heart to do so. I've got a western New York state of mind. And part of this move, really in so many ways for me, was not a running from something, not a leaving, but a going deeper within the calling that was already burning within my heart. Someone asked one of the Desert Fathers, Abba Anthony, what is, the, what is it that a person needs to do to please God. And he gave a few bits of advice that you'd expect. Do everything according to scripture. Always have the things of God in front of your mind. But then he said, wherever you find yourself, do not easily leave. As much as I really unapologetically think that's really good for Western New York, you are good for Western New York. I know it would be really good for you. So if I can make a plea on behalf of this region. This is not a time to bemoan where we are. This is not a time to sit on our hands. This is not a time to restlessly scan the horizon for new adventures. This is not a time to just hold on and hold back and try to find an ideal location where we can sit out our lives while the world falls apart. This is a time to be salt and light. This is a time to heed the call. This is a time to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And for everyone with a Western New York state of mind, that is incredibly good news. This rise up, O church, and be great. Because this great region needs a great church of people who understand the great calling that rests on your shoulders and who are committed to staying put and doing the hard work that it takes to get that done. Build houses, plant gardens, pay your property taxes, paint the deck, be excited about the Bills' first preseason game next Sunday night, learn to love Beef on Weck, knowing that the Lord has plans for you. And maybe part of his plans are for you to be here. So it was a year ago that our family climbed up into that balcony for the first time. And we love it here. This is no utopia. It's no ideal community. But it's a great community. When we were unloading our boxes a year ago, uh, I said to Tammy, I said, next time we move, I want to be in a box. (laughs) She's even offered over the course of the year to help make that happen. But I mean that. You're stuck with us. As far as it depends on us, 
we're here for keeps. Living here does not feel like living in exile to me. But should I ever come down with a case of restlessness, please remind me. I hope you don't feel like you're living in exile. I know a lot of Western New Yorkers do. Uh, And I could be way off base this morning. It wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) But maybe I'm not. And maybe the Lord is calling you to some form of a vow of stability in some area of your life, or to at least live out your days under the calling, under the advice, wherever you find yourself. Do not easily leave. I pray for us. Our hope is built on nothing less, Lord. Then Jesus and his word, the promise of the kingdom, And Lord, we, so many of us sense a calling not just to follow you, but to be in this place. We pray that you would use us as salt and light to be difference makers. And in this crucible of this community, to sharpen one another, to refine one another as your spirit sees fit. Help us, Lord. Bind us together. In Jesus' name. Please stand and join us as we sing together. Church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shields of faith and bands of truth. against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight with faith and valor when faced with trials on every side we know the outcome is secure and Christ will have the price for which he died an inheritance of nations Come see the cross where love and mercy meet As the Son of God is stricken Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet For the conqueror has risen And as the stone is rolled away
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May you know forgiveness, grace, and that your Father in heaven loves you ferociously. Have a tremendous week.